know she is real as they come. Real as they come. Uh, no, she killed a hundred all day long. All day long. If you ain't got me honest, then she done. And we're back for another episode of the Honestly Helen podcast. Thank you for joining, and let's get right into it. All right. Welcome, Dr. Kimia, to the Honestly Helen podcast. Thank you, Helen. I appreciate you. Oh, of Thank course. You. How are you doing this morning? Or well, morning I'm, for me, afternoon for afternoon you. Afternoon for me. It is warm enough, but cool enough to be outside. So it's that nice middle. Ooh. So I'm having a really good day today. Nice yes. I think the weather's going to be like that today over here. And I'm excited. Mm-hmm. After this, I'm telling myself I'm going to a pedicure to, to start okay. let's start it off find out. <laughs> got your braids about to get a pedicure yes, <laughs> all right y'all so this episode i have dr kimia and this is a connection that we met on this this website that neither of us well let me speak for me that i am not on a lot but it's supposed to connect like-minded people with podcasts and dr kimia reached out to me and miss Dr. Kimia is a founder <laughs> and owner of 365 Diversity. Literally, it's basically all in the name, but Dr. Kimia, I'm going to let you expand on that if you want to. <laughs> Dr. Kimia is also a activist. She is a sociologist. She's a criminologist. Is that how you say that? Crim- criminologist, yeah. Criminologist. <laughs> You're and fine. She is an educator and evaluator. So, She's the badass, essentially, is what we're getting at right here. So, Dr. Kimmy, anything you want to add to the introduction before we get into the episode? So, I just love connecting with sisters, connecting with Black women around the world. I just love us so much. Mm-hmm. And even when we don't all agree on topics, I say I fight for Black women to disagree. That's the freedom that Black women need to voice ourselves and to not need other people to be our voices to the detriment of our lives oftentimes. So I really appreciate you, Helen. So thank you so much. Oh, you are so welcome. And you said a mouthful, right? That's that, not <laughs> the topic. I love that that is something that you actively go after, especially with women, because we talk about the Black community, but I will say it feels like we focus more on Black men as opposed to mm-hmm. Black women and men. Mm-hmm. It's Black men. And then, you know, we come in after that if we come in. Right, and that's one of the issues with supporting Black women. A lot of times, most Black girls and Black women are taught all their lives a version of Adam and Eve in which females, girls, and women only exist to reproduce future humans Mm. and only exist to be married in cultures that believe in marriage. And of course, that's based on cisgender heterosexuality. And also that we only exist to defend Black boys and Black men. Mm. That ignores thousands of years of various cultures on the continent of Africa and around the world that include matriarchal cultures, that include gender non-conforming cultures. And so one debate oftentimes have with Black women is the Black women who will risk everything to defend Black men, will risk everything to defend white liberals, Mm. Mm. And we'll risk everything to be the quote unquote strong black women and the black women will rescue the world type person to their own detriment. And I tell black women every single day and I tell this to black girls to get them ready for the future. People, white people, black men, the world will be on our backs stressing, talking about we going to save everybody. But the moment we get abused, they disappear. Mm. They tend to only help Black women who are 
celebrities, which is why I always mock people because I'm like, you chasing after these black women celebrities talking about protect black women. These black celebrities have a lot of resources. Meanwhile, there's a black woman right next to you in your household, in your city, at your job, at your school, who is struggling. She's crying for help. And you claim to be too busy. You claim to be desperate to need your job and to not get fired for helping a black woman. But Joe behind is hashtagging on Twitter to rescue a famous black woman who already got supporters and money on your back. So I am unapologetically stern about this. Anyone who does that gets zero respect from me in their face. Why you? I don't know if it's the fan of you, but your girl just got gooseies. I just got gooseies on my arm. That's 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 the consistency. You know, a lot of times when people are, you know, advocates, voices for change, they have exceptions on their list. Like unless this, I don't have no exceptions. Listen, if (laughs) y'all, I need listen, listen. We let's. Let, let, let me move us along because I'm gonna get stuck on that because that that was, <laughs> that was beautiful and needed to be said. So I'm glad we started off with bang because that's the tone. This conversation we're about to have, y'all. This season, for some reason, I'm picking topics that are not just are not 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 easy topics, but they're not topics that I think a lot of people are spreading awareness on. So my first two episodes were about sexual trauma within the mm-hmm. gay community. Yeah. This topic, friends and family, we are talking about mental health in the black community specific to suicide. Mm-hmm. Now, Dr. Kenya, I told you, I did my little research because I had to let you know I was serious about this. You got academic <laughs> your work. Okay. And the podcast that you did also talking about suicide, you mm-hmm. said this phrase, and I'm, I'm gonna start us off with this. So I'm gonna say this and then you take it where you wanna go and we're gonna keep it pushing. Mm-hmm. When, we, when you think of mental health, you like us to say, or you like to think of it in the sense of we need to expand the definition of mental illness and the definition of suicide. Can you elaborate on that for me? Yeah, so we're, we're talking about tens of thousands of years of humans existing. We're talking about trillions of people with various cultures, which include various forms of health and medicine, medication, including natural medicines. And so the reason, one of the reasons that I founded 365 Diversity after years of being on health board of directors and doing health trainings is that when I would attend mental health training and suicide prevention training, one thing oftentimes the white people who do the trainings would say Mm -hmm. is that we need to use black women as a template for reducing mental illness. And they most often say in reducing suicide. That's for real? Yeah, because what they would say is data shows black women have among the lowest rates of suicide. And I would always speak up because I'm one of those people I don't believe in theoretically challenging the establishment. I don't believe in behind the scenes of challenging the establishment. I don't believe in getting home and being like, I wish I had said this. <laughs> no, I'm literally changing the way medical and health professionals do what they do because yeah. I don't believe in crying foul on social media or in a committee meeting. I'm a cry foul when it happens. Mm. So I always tell these trainers, never use black women as your template not having access to data is oftentimes the problem when looking mm-hmm. at suicide. Just as a criminologist with a background of criminal justice, we talk about the dark figure in data, which is the difference between incidents and actually what's reported 
and whether it's correctly documented and whether it's correctly categorized. So when you find official crime data, know that that is a segment of the crime that's really happening based on how the law defines crime. Same thing, we're talking about suicide. So when people foolishly say Black women have a lower rate of suicide and think that that means that Black women have a lower rate of suicidal thoughts and suicidal behaviors, that means that they not only are ignorant, which mm -hmm. that ignorance comes through medical and health academic programs, including medical schools and PhD programs, mm -hmm. but it, that ignorance is also happening in nearly all CEU trainings that medical and health professionals are getting throughout their careers. And it's part of the medical and health policies and practices in these organizations and in hospitals and facilities. Mm. So literally people are being taught falsehoods. They are being taught that black women are strong, therefore they have fewer suicidal thoughts. No, that's not what's happening. Black women have suicidal thoughts. Black women have suicidal behaviors, which includes substance use, which mm. includes consuming large amounts of alcohol, which includes self-medicating. No matter how much people love marijuana, the case still is that many Black people are smoking marijuana from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed, not only because they love marijuana, but because many people have bipolar disorder, many people have schizophrenia, depression, and to hide that, that's an attempt to self-medicate, which is different from us being descendants of African medicine in which you're not just self-medicating, but you're actually addressing the problem itself. Yeah. So the same thing with Black women. A lot of times Black women are told you only exist to have children, to take care of Black men. Therefore, a lot of Black women, they're oftentimes not taking care of their own health, but they might be taking care of someone else's health. Like yeah. they might go to the doctor on, the health, on behalf of an elderly Black person, a family member, or even a black man or their children, but then they're not even going to a gynecologist or they're not going to their doctor. They're not getting a refill for their medication themselves. So, so when I say what I said, the quote that you just read, and I talk about expanding how we define mental illness, mental health and suicide and suicidal self-harm, do not use the European white version. Mm. Same way we say do not use the BMI body mass index, which is 100% based on white people's standard of body type and healthy body shape and weight and height. We should not use the diagnostical statistical model, which is the DSM, as a standard for mental illness. Because again, pardon people who do not want this term used, but homosexuality used to be on there mm -hmm. as a diagnosis for mental illness. And that was changed, right? But we also wanna understand that there are other conditions that people are not trained to understand what it means when black people are stressed out. They don't, they're not trained to understand what some people call PTSD. Some people have started calling it post-traumatic slavery syndrome. Whatever people wanna call it, the fact remains that we're talking about generational learned behaviors, generational forms of stress. What does it mean to be taught as black people and this is parts of the world is not just United States of America and Canada that we have to work harder and still not expect to get success because, you know, just in case, you never know. Well, that's also part of our mental health. What does it mean to be happy, but no, you know, I might get too happy, but I need to 
still recognize reality. Yes. Yeah. So those are all part of mental health. So when I do tables, so when I do vendor tables at community events, I do them on my own. I don't do them as part of a health organization. Why? Because when I critique these white controlled health organizations, I'm not going to critique you and then do a table on your behalf. Right. I have my own table. My table is going to be about African Black mental health. And this includes when I do tables regarding indigenous, non-white Hispanic, non-white Latin, the idea, and this includes people who are black and brown LGBTQIA, people with disability, all of our people with different identities. I do my own tables because as a black woman, I get tired of having to explain to people yeah. who claim to already be the expert. Like these people are being hired for faculty positions, medical and health positions, mm -hmm. They have published research. Some of them are making really high salaries, getting a lot of grants and funding, and they need to still learn basic information. Mm, mm, mm. So that's why I say expand mental health. So I do a lot of presentations and trainings about expanding how we define suicide. And I use Dr. Emil Durkheim back in the 18th century, 19th century, Mill Durkheim, French white sociologist who wrote the book Les Suicide, which of course means the suicide. And he talks about different forms of suicide that connect the social to the thought process and the mental. Mm. So examples of suicide being dying for a larger cause. So people who are dying for a larger cause, people oftentimes use examples such as suicide bombers and people going to war can be an example because they know they might die. Other examples can be back to what I said about black women who don't take care of their own health. Why? Because they're taking care of everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I use that full span. And for 10 years, I connected with psychologists and mental health professionals and suicide prevention professionals. And most of them do not want to expand their understanding because it's inconvenient to learn more. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's why I mostly connect with social scientists and community activists who do mental health work and suicide work because the people who just want to memorize DSM and go based on that narrow scope that's very much European white, especially European white men, but European white in general, you can waste your time trying to change the landscape that they're using. And at the end of the day, they tend to think you're the person who doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. Like they're not in the communities doing this work. They're not in communities encouraging people to go to support groups. They're also not learning that most of these support groups are not culturally inclusive either. Yeah, yeah. Like what does it mean to go into black communities and say, hey, you know, we're not telling you not to smoke weed, you know, represent if that's what you want to do. Make sure it's actually pure weed if that's what you need. But if you're smoking weed to hide schizophrenia, maybe you're hearing voices and you can't sleep at night. So you might get 30 minutes of sleep because you're literally hearing voices all day, every day. So a lot of people will smoke weed to disguise those voices. Or they might say it's a higher power talking to them. Mm -hmm. That's one of the complexities when talking about thousands of years of religions and spiritualities. Yes. It's always been the case that perhaps some people are hearing voices because of schizophrenia and they will rationalize it as saying, well, grandma's talking to me or, you know, Rasta, Rastafarianism is talking to me. And so I tell mental health 
and suicide professionals, unless you've been in communities having these conversations without walking into it ready to judge people, without walking into it ready to lecture to people about that damn theory. Mm. Mm. <laughs> theories are theories. Exactly. Like, it's in the like, Yeah, as a professor, I created and taught crime theory courses and sociology theory courses. Like I require my students to understand, literally every theory is created to criticize. That's why you do research. Theories don't go away just because you don't like it, but theories are not factual just because you like it either. Like theories are created and concepts are created to do practical application. But unfortunately, most medical and health professionals, if you tell them to do community work, they wanna go around just passing out pamphlets. They wanna go around preaching to people. Mm. They have a vendor table. They won't get behind the table and talk to people. And, and that includes, unfortunately, most Black mental health professionals and suicide prevention professionals as well, because um, they've been brainwashed as well to think that it's like a hierarchy of knowledge. Like we don't yeah. come from thousands of years of knowledge, knowledges and education as well. So I just say all that to say that when I talk about expanding our definition and understanding, it means not complying with the standards that these professionals and organizations and facilities use. Because yeah. they'll say they have licensing, they'll say we're going based on the, the state requirements, but all of those requirements are still based on the power majority who are mostly white people, mostly men, mostly cisgender heterosexual, mostly people with able health. So they're ten, they tend not to get people with schizophrenia helping to make laws, right? Oh, yeah. People who have able health are determining the outcomes for people who are struggling. Yeah. And these also tend to be people with money. So it's, it's a long list of who's considered the experts. They tend not to go into communities of people who actually are experts to say, hey, can you come in here and consult us? Yeah. Instead, they think that they're consulting the community. So that's what I mean when I say expand all of that. I love it. I love it. I definitely had to learn. I want to say when I was about to graduate college, that everything we were learning, just because we were being taught, it didn't mean that it was the way it happened. And so I've always been a very vocal person. I've always similar to you in the sense where if I have something on my mind, I'm not going to wait till later. If it's happening now and I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to tell you in that moment. And so I had to, I've been learning as I've naturally, as I've been older to question things, to look at things like, mm, that doesn't make sense. Or why are we doing it this way? Why aren't we trying something else? Or if this isn't fit for me, why is this saying this is what's supposed to happen, but it's not happening for me, like mm -hmm. challenging it. And when we challenge it, you always learn something, but it, it's, it's hard to challenge America when America is built for white people, honestly. It's, it's based, it's, yeah. It's, it's based in 529 years of white people's medical racism, scientific racism all around the world that was also used by Nazi Germany, mm. Adolf Hitler. So I always want people to understand the medical and racism and scientific racism, the research that was used to look at skull shapes and head shapes to determine potential crime behavior, potential mental illness looking at body types. I mean, these all started when examining, when white people, European white people started examining indigenous, aboriginal, African, black people, mm -hmm. you know, people of Asian diaspora, like that's 529 years. 
and that's reported in most of the research that you find published. So yeah. you can look at research throughout the generations published. Uh, you can look at it back in the day when their standard sample was white boys or white men, because the idea that whiteness represents all humans, mm -hmm. the idea that male and boys and men represent everyone across gender identities. And then they expanded still, and then they would have more black and brown people in the samples, but these still tend to be very much white standards of theory yeah. and research, even if it was black and brown people conducting it. Yeah. And then this research shapes medical and health facilities, medical and health organizations, such that when you challenge that, the people <laughs> get offended by you. Like yeah. medical and health students get offended, medical and health professionals, in charge of these places, including black and brown people in charge, they get them, they get offended. You're messing up the foundation, messes up your foundation. That's the whole entire point. Messing up your foundation. Like people are more concerned with their foundation and their salary than our lives speaks value. I tell most medical and health professionals that they are in the wrong profession in the first place. Dr. Kimia, let them well, just like police departments, all these people who control our lives, they need to be audited. They need to be controlled. Yes. They need to be stopped. And we don't have to trust them and smile at them when we know good and well they're misdiagnosing, giving medication that should not be taken, especially in com combination with other medications. Mm. They're over-medicating people. Sometimes people might have anxiety because anxiety condition is one of the most common diagnoses yeah and black people tend to have anxiety disorder on both sides of families because that's also connected to life stressors too but guess what your doctor does not have to give you the highest dose of anxiety medication they can start you off with the lowest dose and then talk about let's change your eating habits guess what change your eating habits does not mean you have to do white people's version of vegetarian and veganism mm. we come from thousands of years around the world of agricultural societies where you can eat your people's cultural foods and seasonings and it can still be vegetarian and vegan if you want, or it can be some lean meat if that's what you want to. Yes. You can talk about taking the lowest dose and doing meditation. Mm. Guess what? Meditation does not mean you're going to a white woman's yoga class. Yoga was not created by white people. Dr. King, Meditations, thousands of years of meditations, thousands yes. of years of thousands of religions and spiritualities. I want people to understand when we're talking about medical health, we're talking about people in your community who specialize in the health for your people. Without mm -hmm. you having to conform and comply with the European white standard that has been proven over and over again is horrible and flawed, but they hold on to it. Why? Because it keeps bringing in funding it keeps bringing in patients. It keeps bringing in insurance. It keeps being protected by the government, both locally and federally. And the list goes on. Yeah, yeah. Question for you. Mm -hmm. What has your experience been with our community when you have these conversations about mental illness being, I, I'll say, I think mental illness is very strong within the Black community, but I think the, I think black people have been conditioned to, we don't trust hospitals, we don't trust doctors. Like you said, nothing's wrong with us. If we're hearing voices, it's grandma, our ancestors guiding us. So when you have these conversations with our people, what, what has that experience been like? Has it been receptive or do you get a lot of pushback? 
are people like, eh, I hear you, but. It's a combination of all of that within the same day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, that's the thing. You have, you have to literally go into it knowing our people. Yes. Because this includes including Black mental health and suicide professionals. Like literally, I remember years ago, we were doing a training and that included some Black religious leaders. And they complied. They was like, yeah, we're going blah, blah, blah. And the moment they, the moment the training ended, I could hear them talking about, well, let's go talk about how we can pray this away, which is the very first thing I told them not to keep doing. People are accustomed to what they've been taught to do all their life. We're talking about from centuries and thousands of years that we brought to Western Hemisphere when we were forced on the Western Hemisphere. So no matter how many trainings they get, they still oftentimes will say things off the record when, you, when they think you're not listening to them. So whether I'm doing a vendor table or a training, I've had Black folk, including Black mental health professionals say, okay, you know, we need to make some changes and they say they're going to make some changes too. But then sometimes they will admit that the changes they want to make, they can't make where they work. They would have to have their own private practice or something because they got to comply with what they're told to do to make salary. So that's one thing. Sometimes, like when we talk about stress, a lot of times Black people will say, oh girl, I ain't worried about stress. So yep. a lot of times people are actually happy to hear about stress because they know that that's not as, they don't feel like it's as labeling to talk about mental illness. They'd be like, okay, stress, I can deal with that. Yes. But there's also some people will say stress. Yeah, girl, I'm just going to pray about that too. Yeah, yeah. So you can hear a wide range. Um, so I think back to a lot of times I use the Eagles Landing as an example of some of the earlier documented forms of African suicide. And suicide has existed for thousands of years in most cultures around the world for various reasons. But unfortunately, most Black people around the world think that suicide is a white people thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's not based on data, but it's just based on this idea that we're strong people and therefore we've been through a lot, therefore we don't have to die by suicide. And that's when, when I do these presentations, including for suicide organizations, I highlight famous Black people who died from suicide. People like the singer Zappin Rogers, Don Cornelius, like all these people who died from suicide over the decades. Phyllis Hyman died from suicide, intentional um, overdose. And then I talk about Eboo's Landing, which the Eboo's people who jumped from a slave ship and we're walking through the ocean and drowned as a collective. On one end, you can think that, of course, during, excuse me, during slavery, transatlantic slavery, everyone spoke different languages. You know, transatlantic slavery stole, even if people say, well, we sold our own people, it still was stealing because yeah. the people sold were not signing a consent form. So I want black mm -hmm. folk to stop that nonsense. <laughs> but the people who were stolen all up and down, particularly Western Africa, still oftentimes were from different cultures and different languages and different religions and so forth. They were literally planked on top of each other. And so Ibu's Landing is a group of Ibu who, of course, did not know the languages that these European whites were using, but were like, you know, gonna escape. 
We don't know, of course, whether they thought they really could escape, because that's the thing about being in the ocean. Yeah. We don't know how far the ocean is from the continent of Africa, because yeah. you know they didn't have a map. They was just like, we're going to figure it out. out. Yeah. And so you'll oftentimes, if you look up Ebo's Landing, it's oftentimes spelled I-G-B-O, and sometimes you'll see it E-G-B-O, but you'll see these drawings of you know African art of showing our people going deeper and deeper into the water and dying together. Mm. Whether they thought they were gonna swim through it, who knows? But we, I use that as an example of suicide because pretty much that's a group escaping and suicide is a form of escape. Mm. Mm -hmm. So when I do that part, sometimes some black mental health and suicide professionals get mad because they're like, that's not suicide. And I said, why not? And they were like, well, what would you do if you tried to escape? I said, right, that's the whole point when we're talking about different reasons of suicide. Suicide includes people who want to escape. Yeah. Like Don Cornelius died because he wanted to escape. Phyllis Hyman died because she was struggling with substance use and mental illness and wanted to escape. Donnie Hathaway died from suicide. Why? Because he was struggling with depression and wanted to escape. Yeah. Wanting to escape from, from substance abuse, wanting to escape from domestic violence, wanting to escape from transatlantic slavery. There are Black people who are told they're about to go to prison and they unfortunately die by suicide. Why? Because there's no resources helping most Black people handle life circumstances. Yeah. And our people are mostly just thrown in there. Yeah thrown yeah. in schools, we're thrown in the doctor's office, we're thrown in prisons, right? Yeah. And so I tell Black people, instead of being offended that I'm using this as an example, understand why it is an example that you actually want medical doctors and nurses to understand. Yeah, yeah. I really like, I really like that story because what I found really interesting was the fact that someone was like, well, what would you in that, what would you do in that situation? And what I took from that is, well, that's where you got it messed up. We're not talking about it being, because to me, that question made me feel like she was saying, well, it couldn't be suicide because they were doing it to, to escape, but like they were doing it for themselves. They weren't doing it because they were tired of everything. They were doing it because they thought it was better. But it's like, it doesn't matter why they did it. It's the fact that they did it. So you can't say something's not suicide because to you, it was like, oh, well, they weren't suicidal because they had a rough life. They were trying to make a better life for themselves. They didn't want to be slaves. They chose suicide over living as a slave is still suicide so I I think it's interesting that people because I've experienced where, where people don't like something or it has like a negative connotation for them they try to redefine what it is it uh -huh. is it is baby girl baby boy you gonna have to look it in the face and accept it you can't change the definition because to you that doesn't fit what the definition is in your little nice precise little box you got going on no. So when you also do an internet search for Eagles Landing, you will see some videos of African Black people celebrating Eagles Landing, celebrating the Igbo who escaped. Yeah. So that's also part of our culture. Part of our cult culture includes escaping. Because like during transatlantic slavery for centuries, we also used Negro spirituals and Black spirituals as a form of escape. Sometimes it was literally escaping. You know, as part of the Underground Railroad, yeah. for example, we would send messages to each other 
through our native languages and sometimes through English, through music. And another form of escape is the spiritual escape. So if you hear the Negro spiritual, keep your hand on the plow, also called keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. The idea is that there's a higher calling. So keep doing what you gotta do. Sometimes that can mean literal escaping and sometimes it's more of a mental escape. Mm -hmm. And that's taught from generation to generation. So the same way we talk about the origins of soul food, which white people are making some money. And unfortunately, Asian people are doing like the chitlin at Asian restaurants yes. and the yes. chicken wings. But that all originated from our people being thrown bare minimum. We were thrown the turkey necks, thrown the chicken necks, thrown the gizzards, thrown the liver. We were thrown the scrotum of the cattle. We were thrown all these things. We were taken from our culture in which we knew how to eat, knew how to cook, knew how to make rice, vegetables, meat, whatever. And we were thrown the bare minimum. And all across the Western hemisphere, Canada, United States, South America, Caribbean is what it's called now when it was stolen from indigenous people by white people. But we had to figure out how to make it, right? And so all of that ties into how I discuss mental health and suicide. Yeah. I tell people, we have to understand that no matter how much we rationalize this, the outcome is still the same. So I don't tell Black people to call it suicide. If you want to celebrate Ibu's Landing as an escape and not call it suicide, that's fine. But just understand that we have to adjust our language accordingly yeah. if you have someone in our community who is trying to escape and they might try to do that through a form of killing themselves. Yeah. And you need to get them in contact with someone who specializes in helping them. Yeah. yeah. Don't rationalize on other people's behalf because the rationalization and the wording that you prefer does not save other people's lives all the time, right? And it happens a lot with black families. A lot of black families will say, oh, so-and-so, they just different. Or so-and-so, <laughs> right? They and I tell people, are you doing that because you want to include that person, let the person know you're helping them? Or are you doing that to let yourself not be hold, held accountable for not helping the person? Wow. Like I even had wow. Black people in my training many years ago say, well, if my if my child want to kill him, say, I tell him, go ahead and do it. And I, I said, I said, don't you dare. And they was like, you, they were like, I look, if you talking about doing it, you do it. God will handle it. I said, listen to yourself. You are a mental health professional admitting that you would tell your own child that. So that means I want your license removed because if you tell that to your child, you'd probably tell that to somebody in our communities. And even if you don't outwardly say it, you might imply it in your facial expression, what you write down on that prescription medication, anything. People like you should not be reaching our people. So the same way I tell that to white people and other non-Black people, I will tell that to our people because there's zero respect in risking our people's lives. I don't have to smilingly, apologetically rescue our people. Like if I cuss somebody out to rescue our people, you damn sure better not ever try to correct me. Correct those people who are killing our people. Yes. Whether that's the police, whether that's medical professionals, health professionals, whether that's school teachers and school officials, anyone harming our people, go get them. Yes. Don't try to get the Black people who are holding them accountable. Because that's almost five centuries of Black people being told that there's a polite, smiley way to save our lives. No. Yeah. Cuss them all out. 
because if that means saving our lives, then I'd rather you be mad that I cussed you out than for people to have to go to my funeral because Black people try to smilingly say, don't murder her. Y'all better cuss them out and tell them not to murder me. Oh, (laughs) I'm a big advocate for that one. Big advocate for that one. And that was, that's a nice um, segue because I did want to ask you, so what does suicide look for our people? I really loved what you said, um, the the weed smoking, because yes, yes. And yes, you hear that argument where it's from the earth. You know, it's not like heroin or cocaine where you have these withdrawals or you start acting crazy. And I tell people all the time, I, I am a marijuana smoker, but I, I also come from a line of alcoholic, alcoholics, both sides. So mm-hmm. when I came of age, I was like, I'm very conscious of when I smoke and when I drink, because I know my parents did it to escape. My parents drank to escape and that's why they became alcoholics. So I never wanted to get in a space where I was using substances to escape because that's how you become addicted. So with the culture of our people, our history, suicide, I'm assuming looks different than our white counterparts. Is that true? And if so, or like, and obviously not like absolute truth, but is there some truth to that? And if Mm -hmm. so, what, what does that look like? Yeah. So when you talk about in terms of methods oftentimes used for suicide, right? Yes. Yes, ma'am. So there, there can be racial variants, just like there's gender variants. There's not a whole lot of research about this, unfortunately. But when we speak with individuals and communities, we find some patterns. So first of all, when we talk about legalizing marijuana, which a lot of Black folk don't notice, <laughs> but marijuana is also illegal in Jamaica. So like a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, Black people, they take like a very white tourist perspective to uh, our people around the world and they think that just because they listen to reggae music yes. and they see some good videos that they think that Jamaica marijuana is legal it's illegal and it's illegal of course because of the ownership from Europe it's not illegal necessarily because African people want it to be illegal in Jamaica so that's something I always have to point out to our people I didn't know so, that know. yeah so One thing I'm a proponent of is legalizing marijuana because then we could make sure that people are actually using authentic natural marijuana and not anything that's been chemically jacked up. Yes. yes. So if anyone's familiar with, um, there's some different organizations that do community work. It's Black people helping each other. And one of the founders was joking about when he started selling marijuana when he was younger, he was... He said he was the worst quote unquote drug dealer because he was like getting grass and putting it up in there. And he was like, you know, a lot of people do that because, you know, a lot of black folk, you know, a lot of black people don't come from agriculture because we were stolen from agriculture. So they tend not to know what's authentic herbs, not just marijuana, but herbs in general. So they'll go to Whole Foods and Trader Joe's not realizing that a lot of these herbs were stolen from our land, from Asian land and African land, indigenous land in the first place. So I say that, though, because when we're talking about how to address this, you want to address every component of it, which includes what would change in terms of medical health field if we could change the police system, Mm. like get rid of police in that sense, focus on the funds for preventive measures, such as improving the schools. Yes. And when I say not just improving it in terms of test scores, I really truly, as an educated professor myself, I don't care about test scores. I care about removing white dominance from every component of schools, which means the libraries, 
school curriculum, school accreditation, mm. textbooks. White people should not be the majority of authors, publishers, yes. researchers, poets, literature, music in a world that is about 11% white. Ooh. Like you should not be able to get through K through 12, even colleges, even getting a PhD, MD, and you were taught that for the most part, white people created the sciences, mathematics, the main histories, arts, literatures, poetry. You shouldn't be taught that, right? So, so I said all that because when we're talking about different forms of suicide, it oftentimes takes this form of people just feeling hopeless and helpless mm -hmm. because they feel that their family doesn't understand what they're going through. If they go to a support group, the person in that room with them doesn't understand what they're going through. And they just exist in spaces where everyone around them is telling them that we don't understand your plight. We don't understand your struggle, right? Yeah. So when talking about different forms of suicide, for men in particular, that includes black men, men are most likely to use firearms. Mm. So again, Don Cornelius died years ago from firearm suicide, okay? And so firearms are the most prevalent. It's been typically the case that women have used substances, like when Phyllis Hyman passed from intentional overdose, I think she was using prescription meds, but someone can correct me if that's um, incorrect. But women tend to be more likely to use aspirin or a prescription med. That does change though, because unfortunately there's been a rise in women dying by firearm suicide. Oh, wow. And that's connected with greater access to firearms in parts of the world. Like, and most research of course is based in the United States of America, but we also have access to suicide data around the world and what it means when people have different forms of harming themselves, which can include not taking their medication if they're supposed to take medication. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So other forms of suicide can include putting yourself in a space where you know that you might get beaten or shot. So a lot of times we use the phrase suicide by cop, which is very prevalent, particularly for men across racial and ethnic identities but also we're looking more and more about that as pertains to black men. What does it mean when you are in a violent neighborhood or violent family and you might do something to get intentionally beaten in that mm -hmm. space as well? Mm -hmm. So sometimes things will happen and you're like, well, why didn't you start that fight? You know, there's different ways that people handle their negative emotions. Yeah. Or it could be schizophrenia where they're hearing different voices in the first place. Like sometimes people with schizophrenia will tell you that they heard a voice telling them to hit that person. And mm -hmm. the other person is like, I ain't do nothing to you. Why you hit me? Right. So when we're talking about suicide, there's different forms of suicide. A lot of times people will say, like a lot of times when people are talking about firearms and um, gun rights, they'll say that we need to keep guns out of the people's hands who've been diagnosed with mental illness. Well, guess what? The average person has a diagnosable short-term mental illness or a long-term mental illness. That's the average person. They already got a gun probably. And they might have gotten it illegally, mm. right? It's interesting because particularly in the United States of America, no matter how much people create laws and policies, so many Americans are fooled with this idea 
and this is ac across education level, they're fooled with this idea that just because you tell people no, they're not going to do it. <laughs> like whenever I tell, and I, I see this a lot, like in racial justice work and health work, you see people celebrating presidents and legislators for passing a bill yeah, or turning something into law. And I always ask people, what is that supposed to mean? Mm -hmm. And they're like, Dr. Dennis, you don't know what a bill means or a law. I said, look, I, I come from pre-law and undergrad, criminal justice, <laughs> masters, and a PhD in sociology, oh. concentration in criminology. I know what bills and laws mean, but that's paper. What does it mean in terms of what's really going on? Do y'all, yeah. are y'all really foolish enough to think that if a president passes, well, a president wouldn't pass this, but if you're foolish enough to think like if a mayor passed some kind of bill saying that we don't want the police department to do this, that means the police department gonna change that quickly. If they know good and well, there ain't nobody auditing them financially right. and forcing them to submit an evaluation of their work. Right. Like even with a consent decree, like in Baltimore, they're still not forced to provide factual information because there's no one really doing a follow-up, right? Mm -hmm. So I want everyone to just understand that just because something's written on paper doesn't mean that you need to celebrate. Like yeah. Black people, they, they think Black people are stupid. Like despite us coming from thousands of years of knowledge and centuries of knowledge in the Western Hemisphere, they think we're gullible. They think that if we announce to Black people that we have a bill that was passed or now something has been turned into a law, that we're too stupid to still keep our eyes open and say, okay, well, show me. Yeah, where's that action? Yes. So when we're talking about different methods for suicide, if we say that firearms are the most prevalent method, if that's going to be used now to say certain people should not be able to purchase firearms, I want people to understand the trickle-down effect of that as pertains to race and socioeconomic status. Mm. Because even if that were to become a law, even when it's even when it's a policy that mental health organizations push that if you have a diagnosed health condition, you should not be able to purchase firearms. They have to realize that white men are still going to be allowed to purchase firearms. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. And you can think about that in terms of the history of the NRA and the history of the Black Panther Party with the firearms. And there's other black and brown organizations that have existed over the decades that have said, look, if y'all going to steal firearms from, you know, Asian creation and indigenous people and all that stuff so that's only white people with them then this is not about really helping people it's more about reminding us daily of who's in control just like when we see these confederate stuff everywhere yep 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 and uh, another example to what you're saying about it being on paper not actually transcending anything happen that whole body cam stupid shit excuse my mm -hmm. that they decide to do oh, it and all of a sudden oh I, I, I my camera wasn't working at the time oh i forgot to turn it on oh it must have turned so y'all made a law that we have to, our cops have to wear body cams, but somehow they still are able to not have them on at the right time when they need to have them on. Okay. Of course. That's why I tell people, whenever you give people, and I tell this when I do trainings for organization, a policy does not mean anything. It literally means nothing. Most, first of all, most people who work places, they don't read the policies. Yeah. Just like students, most students are not reading the guidelines that they're given to abide. They yeah. just, when they get caught, they're like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's wrong based on y'all. Okay, thanks. Right. For right. <laughs> yeah. And so, so it's a similar thing to when you're talking about prescription medications being used for suicide for many women and Black women included. 
if you were to say, okay, now we want the family to make sure that person is not overusing prescription medications, imagine a Black family monitoring the prescription medications of the Black woman or Black girl and family. That oftentimes wouldn't happen either. Yeah. So I always want people to understand when we're talking about mental illness and suicide, controlling the person more in terms of firearm access, in terms of medication access, in terms of illegal drug access. I mean, yeah. you can even talk about the drugs that are technically illegal, but they're still prevalent. Mm. I mean, there's literally drugs everywhere. I mean, that can include yeah. heroin, methamphetamine, you know, centuries. Indigenous people, Black people have been addicted to opioids for generations, methamphetamines for generations. It was not a crisis until it was white people and particularly middle class, upper class white. So if we're talking about how to reduce the likelihood of suicide and suicidal self-harm, we have to be honest that mm. when we're talking about the methods used to harm oneself, there's a difference between helping someone versus controlling someone. When you're helping someone, it's not as forceful. It's not as violent. It's not as preachy, you mm. know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you're controlling someone, whether it's a family or a government, you're walking into this space taking everything. Yep. And what does that do for most people? It teaches them how to hide information from you more. Mm. Just dropping gems. Just dropping That's true. gems. And we talk about that in terms of theories. Like there's a social psychology theory that's used in psychology and we use it in criminology, criminal justice and sociology. It's called the labeling perspective. Mm. And it's about what it means when people are doing things. They could be doing it behind the scenes their entire life. And it isn't until you discover it that you might respond to it. You might label the person, stigmatize the person. The person might feel isolated and the person might go further into a downward spiral of behavior because now they not only have that original behavior, but you've labeled them and stigmatized them. Yeah. That could be going to prison. That could be getting further into substance use and yeah. you not knowing anymore because they're like, well, shoot, I know I got to hide this from you now. And, and that's something that, we that the black community definitely we have to work on I grew up in that environment uh, my cousins grew up in that environment I don't know not one black person that hasn't grown up in that environment so I yeah I, I hope at some point I hope and I'm, I'm gonna get us to, to closing this out because I'm gonna be mindful of our time but I, I hope that with commerce and this is why this is really the one of the biggest reasons why I want to do a podcast is to have these type of conversations the honest conversations the conversations that people don't want to have and especially within the black community we suffer in silence so much because we mm -hmm. are used to suffering in silence and so what you said earlier be, I, I think the world looks at black people because we've been through so much and still managed to be on top in so many different areas that people assume like it like reinforces this stigma this ideology that black people are are a different type of being like this is mm -hmm. why they were slaves because they were different. Well, look, you see all the mm -hmm. shit they've been through. This, no, we we had to do this by survival. This is not by choice. Like you think we want to be out here struggling and keep it all in it? In no, because we normally got grandparents we got to look after, cousins, kids that we got to watch because the cousin don't want to watch it, or you know your sister got kids that you not got to watch. And it's so much, yeah. it's so much cycle of BS in our community that having these honest conversations always feels like an attack. Like. I've never been able, even when I talk to my cousins and I try and correct them on some of their negative behavior, where I can see like, this is not how you should be handling this. Mind your fucking business. I got this. This is my child. 
Okay, mm-hmm. right. I was just trying to help. I just was trying mm-hmm. to, I was trying to be that person, but it's, it's, it's very hard. So I'm, I, let, let's, let us close with that. Dr. Kimia, what do you think we need to do as a black people to, to open that door besides, in addition to having these conversations? Is there anything that you mm-hmm. can do? What's, let, yep. let, let, tell us. So I always encourage our people, because, you know, I'm 100% pro-Black, pan-African, staunch gender equity, Black women. So I believe in uh, gender equity for our people around the world, gender justice. Yes. I believe in pan-Africanism. I also defend and protect African Black people who are LGBTQIA. And I also have a disability. So I defend and protect Black people with disability. So I encourage our people to stay away from extremes. Mm -hmm. One extreme is being taught that the whole purpose is for white people to like you. Mm. And that's a huge problem for unfortunately most black people and not just in the United States of America and Canada, but in parts of the world where their success is to prove a point to white people. Yeah, 100%. And that includes supporting politicians, political parties, which I don't believe in supporting any of these people. Uh, none of them can be trusted. They all are a waste of your taxpaying money. Uh, if you vote, make sure you're voting with skepticism and your eyes open, including your third eye, mm-hmm. and letting them know that smiling at you is not sufficient, okay? So that's one end of the extreme. You're not here for white people to say that they love you. Mm. You can have white friends, white family, white colleagues without them believing that our blackness is based on white people, white people's permission. Racial justice is not based on white people's approval. Because if white people have to approve of your existence, it's not justice. It's oh. still white supremacy. It's still white terrorism. It's just white terrorism with the Democratic Party, white liberals, oh. white anti-fascists. They come to a march and you're celebrating white people for showing up for a Black Lives March. Why are you celebrating them when the Black people at the march are the most likely to get shot, abused, or fired from a job for being part of the march? So celebrate our people for doing this work. The other side of it Make is this notion. The other side, the other extreme is this notion of strong Black people. And mm-hmm. it's when, when I look for a pan-African pro-Black t-shirt, it is so difficult to find a pan-African pro-Black t-shirt that does not have these three words, strong, king, or queen. And I tell Black folk this every single day, don't call me a strong Black woman, do not call me a queen in terms of being a Black woman. And if you call yourself a king, that's your business. But I want our people to know that we come from tens of thousands of years on the continent of Africa, where most of us were not princesses, kings, and queens. Okay? And that's good, actually. Mm -hmm. All right? Like, those of us who came from working land, maybe we came from poverty, on a continent of Africa and then poverty in the Western hemisphere as well, you don't have to call yourself royalty to prove a point of strength as a people. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And That's also we have to be part. honest that we also have to be honest, kings and queens around the world, including on the continent of Africa, got to royalty oftentimes from abusing their people. Yeah. That- so if you're proud of that, then I have zero respect for that either because pro-Blackness, pan-Africanism is not based on classism. It's not based on deism in terms of a deity. It's not based on any of that. And it's, to me, it's divisive for you to have to make us royalty 
Like, how's that possible? Okay. So to me, those are two opposite extremes. I recommend our people go to the middle of that here. Yeah. Developing knowledges, mm. developing an understanding of our people, do not go based on what's taught in these schools. But in addition to learning outside of the schools, change what's happening in the schools. Mm. Do your part to change the curriculum. Don't wait for white liberals to join you. Do your part. Okay. We've got thousands of years of knowledges that a lot of it's oral work, so it's not in printing, okay? Some of it is in printing and it's been stolen and put in white people's museums or white people put their name on it. So you think white people created it, mm-hmm. but we have to just do better at sharing knowledge and also being able to challenge some of the knowledge. You don't yeah. have to agree with it because yeah. thousands of years, humans have lied for thousands of years as well. So we can challenge that as well. Yeah. So I want our people to develop that because when we're talking about black mental health and black suicide, if we don't develop our knowledge locally and nationally, and if you want internationally as well, our mental health and our, our suicidal behaviors can worsen because you are literally relying on the system to help you. Mm-hmm. You're relying on, because I want our people to get help. Yes. I'm a strong proponent of you know, helping each other with some kind of insurance, if that's what we need, health insurance, dental insurance, I want our people to go to support groups. There are many community support groups that are free, Mm. free. But I want our people also to go into these spaces with an understanding and to build knowledge because unfortunately, most medical and health professionals are accustomed to our people not being knowledgeable, not knowing our own bodies, not knowing thousands of years of holistic health around the world so that you can improve your health without eating bland food and taking medication your whole life. Yes. So that's that middle ground. You ain't got to go into the space as a king dog. You ain't got to be a king, but you can contact a local barbershop in which black men are using that barbershop every Saturday to talk about black men's physical health and mental health. There are black men's barbershops doing that. There are black women doing that at hair salons. There are black LGBTQIA people who are doing marches and parades and organizations and groups. We were talking about our health and how health connects with justice and changing society in the world as much as possible. Because I tell people to be active, changing things, you don't have to harm your own health. You can have good health and be active in helping everyone else. So that's the middle ground. I ain't no queen. (laughs) I ain't no person desperate for white approval. Instead, I am someone who's telling our people that we can capture various components of our existence and protect each other. Even if we don't agree, we can have good debates and try to improve ourselves and each other throughout our lives. So that's my input. Listen, I, I, that, that, I don't even got nothing to add to that. I, I, I think I say this in most of my episodes at least once have honest conversation, talk to somebody, not just to respond, talk to understand, talk to comprehend, talk to be an ally, talk to just be a shoulder to cry on. So everything Dr. Kimia just said, I hope y'all wrote it down. I hope y'all put this back. I think this will be one of the most educational episodes I have posted and not just for our people, but for everyone with mental health and needing more education with it. So I cannot thank you enough. Dr. Kimia on this podcast and 
being a black woman out here, not afraid to speak her mind, not afraid to make people uncomfortable and especially not to make white people uncomfortable because that's, that's, the, that's the demographic that we have to make uncomfortable is white people. And the more we make white people uncomfortable, I think personally, the more we'll get closer to making some kind of real change is making them suckers, let them know we not, we not here to just roll over anymore. Okay. We not and also, to- and also making anti-black non-black people uncomfortable. Yes, you're right. And, and anti-black black people. Because anti-blackness is something that's five centuries because the whole idea of the creation of racial categories by that particular white man was taking tens of thousands of years of billions of people from all these cultures and identities, ethnicities, and putting it into these small categories, right? Mm -hmm. And and so anti-blackness, anti-Asian, anti-Indigenous, like all of this was required to divide people within their group mm. and divide the groups that are the population size majority around the world, but power minority because of white people. So I tell people, we can challenge each other, yes. but you don't have to be anti-Asian to hold Asians accountable for having all the businesses and the corner stores and selling liquor in black communities. Like challenging Asians, holding Asians accountable does not require anti-Asian, right? Like I hold Asians accountable because most of the blackface products that you can find in fake African attire is made in China and Japan. Yeah. Okay. Parts of it are made in East India, but most of it's made in China and Japan. If you're looking for like a blackface monkey item that's wearing like a Rastafarian cap, it's usually made in China. All right. I hold Asians accountable for that type of thing without being anti-Asian. And so I want our people to understand frustration is understandable because of five centuries, but we have to understand that uniting with each other includes critiquing each other without harming each other because white terrorism is strengthened when you cause that division within black and brown people as well. And on that note, y'all, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. That, that's Dr. Kimia. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. Thank you. You're so welcome.